Hello, my fellow Extraordinary Americans. My name is Cosmos Dar, and this is Extraordinary America. What is Extraordinary America? Well, you see, America has always been about freedom, opportunity, and the pursuit of happiness. However, most Americans are not free when it comes to the financial front. Most Americans are suffering from financial slavery due to loss of jobs, stagnant wages, inflation, and debt. Wealth and income inequality is the norm now, and the middle class has all but disappeared. So Extraordinary America is about the abolition of financial slavery. It is about the financial freedom of the 99%. It is about the nation of immigrants and the descendant of immigrants restoring the extraordinary within themselves and setting themselves free. The path to financial freedom is through financialist education. It is through becoming entrepreneurs and investors on the light side. In this podcast, I interview fellow Americans who fought against the odds. Many of them came from humble beginnings to see how they did it. It is my hope through these interviews that the extraordinary within you shall awaken and that you will abolish financial slavery from your life and realize the American dream. Once again, welcome to Extraordinary America. Welcome back to the show, my fellow Extraordinary Americans. In today's episode, we have Margot Spiel. Margot Spiel is an entrepreneur, real estate investor, business coach, and author. She's the founder of Paradise Ventures and the author of the book, Live Your Life of Abundance. She has invested in over 25 years of learning the traditional financial markets and the ins and outs of real estate investing. As a lifelong student of transformational growth and mindset, she empowers people to take control of their financial future and propel them towards the dream life that they have always wanted. I believe she aligns with the goals of Extraordinary America when it comes to changing our mindset and our and also regards to financial education. So I've invited her as a guest on the show. Margot, are you there? I am. Thank you. That was a great introduction. <laughs> hey, hey Margot. Uh, thanks for being, you know, being on the show. I, I, I'm really honored to have you as a guest. Uh, uh, I know that you are an entrepreneur. You're a business coach. You're uh, a real estate investor, and you're also an author. Can you tell uh, me and the audience a little bit more about yourself, your background, and how you got started? Yes, actually, I, so I grew up on a farm in the middle of uh, North Dakota in a tiny town, and I just knew that I was supposed to do something big with my life, but I didn't really know what it was, and we, uh, I learned that the traditional financial world, right? I learned how I had a mortgage license. I had an insurance license. I did securities licensing. And what I didn't learn was the secret of wealth. And I felt like it was my calling to figure out how wealthy people get and stay wealthy. And the one thing that seemed to be connecting everybody that had money was real estate. So then I learned real estate and I, I got my broker's license and I became investing, started investing in real estate. And then I, I made a mission to learn this ha- the hacks kind of about, about money. So how do, how do wealthy people handle money? And during that time frame, the thing that kept happening was I kept getting stuck, right? I felt like I would reach my ceiling. And I would use this opportunity, you know, by next time I move to a new place, I'm going to be better. And so I kept getting stuck and I realized that I needed to work on me. And when I started to work on myself and this whole world opened up for me, I, I, a lot of people call it emotional intelligence, where I learned how to handle my emotions. I learned how to I could, you know, I could negotiate better. I could buy real estate better. Everything I could, everything I did, I did better the more I worked on myself. And so that's when I got started on transformational growth. And I, uh, I started going to school at the Townsend Institute, which is Dr. Townsend. Um, He's the boundaries book guy. And it's just been just such an amazing journey and eye-opening experience. And I, I feel like there's no limit to what I could do. I mean, Margo, uh, I got to tell you, I'm actually really excited to to like have you in the show, particularly because like you you came from a farm and then you're all you're all about transformation and growth that utilize 
like learning and financial education that you went and on to become financially successful and financially free. And uh, that's basically what Extraordinary America is actually about. It's about getting people like from hum relatively humble beginnings. Like you came from humble beginnings. Like you came from a farm, but then you decided you're not going to stay there. You're going to become financially successful. And it, you decided to learn. And this is what this show is all about. It's what Extraordinary America is about. So I really, I really applaud you for that. But I want you to let the audience know what was your motivating factor or why that pushed you from just living like uh, from living a li life in a farm to where you where you are at this stage. What was the driving passion that drove you to get out of that situation? The driving passion. Well, the first one I'm going to say there's two. The first one was everybody lived in the same house, you know, in the same town, and nobody ever left. And I loved to travel and I wanted to see the world. And so I was this, this, this tape running in the back of my mind was someday when I get out of this town, someday when I get out of this town. And it wasn't that I hated the town. It was that I didn't belong there. I knew I needed to get out in the world and, and do something big. Right. And then the Bongo, second part I, of that. <laughs> a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurial people feel that way. They feel like they're in an environment where like people don't think like they do. They just, they just have a different thinking. And they're like, these people are in a certain wavelength of thinking where they just are static, but they want to move. They want to do things. And they're like basically stuck. And I, I, I always, I always want the audience to know that they should never let their circumstances. That's part of what extraordinary America is about. Never let your environmental circumstances get the better of and like, yeah, I, I, I can see the pattern over here, you know, like that's what an entrepreneur would think like, but what was the second reason that you're saying that you're mentioning? Oh yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to say, I love that you said that because I feel like I have a little bit of guilt, you know, like it's, it's not that I hated the town. It just didn't work for me. Well, so you, you gave me permission to say, you know what? Other people are like you and it's no, okay. No, there are. Cool. In fact. I think there are many out there that want to do exactly what you're doing, but they're afraid to leave the town. Like they're afraid of like that unknown, the fear of the unknown or of just isolation, but they need that inspiration. They need that motivation to get out and make things happen because they should not be in a place that's not promoting their, their desire to be free and live their dream. So that's I mean, awesome. yeah, I love what you're doing. I really do. I mean, this is so needed in the I country. Love, I love what you're doing, Margo. <laughs> Because you're an inspiration. I mean, Thank like you. you were in a small town, you like grew up in a farm, and then like now you're you fought against the odds, right? Like you decided that this is not for me. I I want something more out of my life. And right. so but I, I sorry to interrupt you here. I was just Oh, it's okay. This is a great conversation. I was gonna say the second thing was the power to give. And I I call it creating a money machine, a giving machine, essentially. So I do a percentage of all my passive income, plus I give a percentage of my, um, you know, regular, if I have to work for it. So I give a bigger percentage if it's passive, if it's mailbox money, but I'm literally just creating a giving machine. And so that's what motivates everything that I do now. And so it's not about money in a sense. And I, I always have that fear piece of um, live your life of abundance. People think it's all about money. But for me, it's not about money. It's about what you're talking about, which is the freedom, right? The freedom to live the life that you want. And so I, the more I do, the more I work, the more I achieve, the more money I donate. And it's so rewarding. I actually track how much donations I do per year. And then my goal is to increase that every year. You know, Margo, like I know, I know, like in America, like you don't have a belief system of uh, karma and reincarnation that much. But like, I mean, some people believe it. But in uh, like from like, the background where I came from, like they believe in cause and effect and karma. Like what you give out to the world will eventually come back to you. So basically, in uh, they say that in your past life, if you were generous, you would come back as wealthy. So like generosity is what leads to wealth. At least, at least that's like the concept. So. Uh -huh. So it, it's, it's, it's good that you're doing that because in my belief system, I believe that you're going to come back wealthy in your next life, the more you are generous and the more you donate. And so, yeah. but, but Margo, like I had this question. So what is your overall strategic goal and vision all throughout like your career uh, from like the time, like you started real estate investing to like where you are at this point? 
Okay, that's that's a good question. And I have a plan. Let me think. <laughs> um, I'm not sure if I had a very good strategic goal. Um, I I kind of I, I I've set it like for what for example one year my goal was to buy I think 48 doors and we call them doors, which is um, a unit. So you can buy one house, which is one door, you know, one rental unit, or you can buy four or you can buy 20 or you can buy a hundred. And so I made that as my goal, not really feeling that I would ever make it. And then we ended up finding a property that had 24 doors. So I bought 24 doors at one time. And that gave me so much hope. Hey, can, you, can you explain to the audience what a door <laughs> is? Because I remember asking you at, uh, at, an, at like an event and then I had yeah. no idea what door was. Yes, I know. That's why I tried to explain it. So in real estate investing, I do residential instead of, you know, a business. And I'm not renting to a business. I'm renting to a homeowner, somebody who's going to live there as their home. And how many rental units do you get? So some people invest in single family homes. So you can live in a home, a single family home that you rent from somebody else who owns it. That would be one door or one rental unit. Um, I buy a lot of duplexes. So that I buy one building, but it's got technically two doors. So this person lives here and this person lives there. And so that's kind of how we count the doors because you have a rent for each door, essentially. Or so if you had to put houses, like how would that, how they come, how'd that be in terms of like how many houses were you renting? Um, well, I have, I think I have around, I keep forgetting and I, it changes all the time. I have around 60 units or doors, but I have some commercial, I have some single family and I have some multifamily. And so this was in, um, 2020 in 2020, we, you know, there was COVID. We didn't really know what was going to happen, but I ended up buying, uh, a one pro one purchase that had 24 doors, so 24 rental units. And we'd bought it as a group. There was four of us. Usually, and it just... the down, usually downturns are the best time to buy. Like a lot of people are scared of uh, like uh, recessions, but that is the best time to be rich, ironically. Everybody else I like... know. And we did so well. Like we were really lucky because it was scary. Everybody was scared. And right after that, our property values and where I live went through the roof. And rent went up, which hasn't happened here forever. So we did really, really well on it. And so I say I had this goal, right, of 48 doors that I never was like thinking I was going to achieve. And then I ended up half of it. I'm like, well, half of it is better than nothing, right? So I, I did more by setting this goal that I really didn't believe I could achieve than if I hadn't set a goal at all. And so that's kind of what I do every year. I set my how many doors am I going to buy this year? And I have a, a big number. I think it's 70. I think it's the number, maybe. I forget. Um, I have one big number that I was like, well, if I get to this many, then I, and I, and I change them over. So after I own them for about seven years, then I sell them and buy something else. So, so I can just keep maximizing. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like you're, you compounded, like you multiplied. Uh, so like you started off with one door, then you went to two, then to four to eight. Can you explain to the audience your thought process of like, uh, of going from just like being in a farm to like now doing 60 units, like how you go from there to there? And like, yeah, you know, that's a great question. Cause it really is, um, I was talking to a, a really successful investor in town. And I didn't know that he was an investor. And he looked at me and he said, I started just like you with one. I'm like, okay, all right. So I'm doing it right, you know? And so what I did is I bought one property and I call it seed money. Um, so I had to put money in, I had to pay 20%. I knew I must, you know, I couldn't buy very many if I only had to put 20% in everything. But what happened was then the value goes up, the rate pays for everything. And event and and the mortgage goes down, so that number, you know, so the value goes up and the mortgage goes down. So you keep getting this greater and greater spread. And so the key is not to use the cash flow to live on. You just keep putting the cash flow back into your business. And then when you sell, 
And so I sold and I did a 1031 exchange, which is the best thing that you can do. So I already paid my 20%, right? So my seed money's been in this property. I think I'd owned it for nine years by the time I sold it. Then I took that, that big spread, which is what my mortgage was and what the value went up to. And I took that and I bought something else. And so I never took the money and lived on it. And that was what this guy told me. He retired really, really young. He's younger than me. He retired in his 40s, I think. And he, that's what he said I did. He said, I never took money out. I didn't live on it. And I always exchanged the property. And now he's got a ton of real estate and he doesn't have to work if he doesn't want to. So that's where I'm going. So Margo, I noticed an interesting point and I want the audience to know about this is because like a lot of times, like the 99%, their mentality is like they get an income and then they spend it on consumer debt, right? Like they use a credit card or whatever and they spend it on like stuff they don't need. What, what a lot of entrepreneurs do is like they or investors do is that like they take that money that they get and they take that and invest it into themselves and into their business and they grow it like a tree or, or like crops altogether. And what that's what you're doing over here. Instead of taking that money and spending it on useless purchases, like you're basically utilizing that to invest in your business, invest in your rental properties and compound and increase, uh, increase the number of units that you're doing. So it's, it's a very interesting concept because most, believe it or not, like to you, this is normal, but most of us, will not have any idea how to do that. You know, we'll just spend the money. Yes. And that's what most people do. And also, I mean, and a lot of people that get into real estate, they don't like, you know, the negatives, which then they call it tenants and toilets. They don't like the phone calls. <laughs> and they don't invest in the property manager. <laughs> and then they get out. I don't remember the toilet part. <laughs> yeah, tenants or toilets. Because there's always something wrong with the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was toilet paper from the pandemic, but okay. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and you know what else you mentioned? I'm going to plug this out. You talked about investing in themselves. And that's one thing that you and I have in common and a lot of investors have in common, which is being willing to spend that money on yourself to increase your education and your knowledge and your skills and what you bring to the marketplace. And that's probably my biggest um, the biggest success that I've done in order to get here is by being willing to keep investing in myself and learning new things. That is awesome. Like, I'm, actually, the next question I was going to ask you was, what was the biggest lesson you learned in all of your years? Of <laughs> oh, my gosh. You already, I think you already answered, but is, is no, there a lesson? I have another lesson. This is a good lesson. And it actually, I'm going to tie it back to the emotional intelligence piece, which people don't, I mean, it's not well enough known, but that's really your biggest success. And so um, there was a scenario that maybe didn't go very well. I, I, I did what I, I was supposed to do. It was a partnership purchase, um, but the partnership was not doing well. A lot of things went wrong. So the biggest thing that I learned was that when I could remain calm, and I could think it through, I came back and I created a scenario that turned out well for me because of all of the time and money I spent investing in me. And that, that changed my outcome. It literally changed my outcome. And if I had been the old me before I'd invested in, in learning and growing and that transformational growth piece, I would not have come out well. And instead I got all my money back. I, and I, I actually own a greater percentage of the, of the, there's, there's going to be about 10 left, but I own more of it and my return will be greater because I could control my emotions and my responses. And I wasn't reacting poorly. And I could just take that negative, bad scenario that was definitely not good. And I could figure out a solution and negotiate with, with the other partners. See, Margo, I, I find it really interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of people have an emotional attachment towards money, whether positive or negative. Like, you know, most people would not want to take a financial risk, but a lot of times in investing, you have to take, like risk comes as part of the game. But if people lose money, they freak out. Like most people, uh, I mean, at least like in the middle class, like they would be afraid of losing money. 
But what would, what would be your advice to people that want to invest, but they're emotionally attached to the fear of losing money and the fear of the risk? That's a really, really great question because you're right. And there's kind of two things on that one. Number one is that, that negative thing to losing money, right? The fear that I, I call that your money blueprint. That's kind of, I got that from T Harbecker, but I've read, I've read that as well. <laughs> you know, that's a good one. He, um, he talks about your, your, your basically your mindset with money, right? And so if you can't, if you, if you can't handle losing money and you've got all this fear and whatever your money baggage is, it's going to control your decision-making as soon as money gets involved. And so if something bad happens, that's, that's a problem. And then the other side of it is really how can you, um, I got, I got lost my train of thought for a second there. Um, but anyways, I forget the, but the money, the money blueprint part is the big piece of how can you overcome a situation, manage the risk, right. And be okay with it and then come out good on the other side. And that, that money piece I had to learn because I used to hate, hate to spend money and I did not want to lose any money. I, I, I've really had to learn this. You know, and there is a lot of risk, but that this I remember the other side now, which is you can mitigate the risk by for doing a there's a certain things that you can do. And one of them, my favorite, is reserves. If you have a reserve account, you mitigate the risk of loss. And then if you add that emotional intelligence piece and you can negotiate out of a solid place rather than a place of fear, you're gonna come out fine. But if you have that fear, like you said, you're probably not going to negotiate a good solution. No, yeah. I mean, most people will have a fear, but the, what I'm saying is that you have to go into the unknown and you've got to take a chance because otherwise you're not going to be financially free. Like freedom and risk, like uh, freedom always comes with risks, you know? Oh. Yeah, there is freedom and risk, but there there is risk always. But I feel like there's the one thing I've learned. This is one thing I've learned that is contrary to uh, the financial world, even the real estate world for the most part, and it's kind of the, contrary to the American way, the American dream is you can lower your risk. There's certain things that you can do that I call it mitigating, but lowering your risk that allows you to win without as much threat to loss. And I think that's what I've learned from this, this, this dream to get to understand how wealthy people handle money. That was the one thing I learned that I don't think is available to us as, a, as typical average Americans. They know how to do that. They're not, most of them are not taking giant risks they're taking mitigated risks that get them more value for their money, but they're lowering their loss. And you can't do that in every situation, but it is pretty, it's pretty prevalent. If you're looking for it, you can find a way. And um, so I remember one time there was a, my husband was at work and his, there was a, a, a coworker that was a little bit ahead of him in training. And he came and he said, Oh, so-and-so told me their invite, his advisor told him, you need to take this risk. That's the only way you're going to get ahead. And I just looked at them like, that is not the way to get ahead. You know, that's what your only choice your financial advisor has. I think there's more options. No, interesting. Like, yeah, it's definitely like an interesting way to look, look at things. Like there's, when it comes with financial education, right? Like they have to know what to do, what, what are the strategies to mitigate risk? And so, yeah, financial education is key. But Margo, what was, what is the greatest challenge you've ever had in all your years of investing and like just business and entrepreneurship and how did you overcome it? Oh, the biggest challenge I had <laughs> was when I, so the first property that I bought, I, um, it only had two tenants. I didn't know anything. I knew nothing. So there's hope for everybody. I had no skills whatsoever i bought a property there were eight that is eight. exactly what the audience wants to hear you okay. have any idea they somehow succeeded yes we want okay. to that a good story 
<laughs> that is the entire audience love it. Sorry. Yeah, like that's the entire point. But go ahead. Okay. So I I had two tenants. I bought it. Which who buys a property with two tenants? I didn't know what I was thinking. And then I had to get it full. One of them left. But when I finally kind of started figuring out a little bit, I had a um, one of the residents said she'd help me manage it. She left in the middle of the night. She pretended, they pretended like they were working. Her husband was doing maintenance. So he got an advance. So I finally, which I don't do advances, but I've known them for so long that I did. They packed up their van and left in the middle of the night. Then I had somebody else helping um, collect the rent and mysteriously all the rent vanished. So she collected all the rent and I got zero of it. And then everybody started leaving and I had to evict everybody and I got down to, I think, three. So I, I'd, I'd run it for a while by myself, not well at all. And then I was back down to three tenants. Terrible. It was terrible. And no rent to pay the mortgage to, and the insurance and the taxes. And then I had to get a prop. I finally decided at that point, I'm going to get a property manager, which I was not at the top of the list because... I had just, you know, been managing it myself. So it took a very, very, very long time for him to turn it around and make it profitable again. But I learned a super valuable lesson, which, well, probably more than one. But number one, I learned how to how to manage the property myself. And I also learned I'm never going to do that again. Like, you should always pay your property manager. And... Everything works out in the end, but it was it was a tough one. It was a tough period. <laughs> Man, yeah, um, I think a lot of people would be afraid of like how to deal with tenants, you know, because uh, especially especially with uh, there was uh, during the pandemic there was like a law uh, passed by the government where in like some states I don't know if it was on a national level where you could not kick the tenants out even if they did not pay rent, and you know it's it's kind of like most people. Uh, it, there's like two sides of the fence, but from the perspective of somebody that's has to collect the rent, it could be like a nightmare, you know? Yeah, I think you should always have a property manager because it's hard to know all those rules and they change all the time. And I will say, I do know somebody who believed their tenant because so that was actually, it was connected to if you had a government loan. If you don't have a government loan, that rule didn't actually apply to you. But I know somebody and he said, well, my tenant hasn't paid me for over a year and I can't get him out. He actually didn't qualify. Like he could have been collecting rent and he could have evicted the tenant, but he didn't know that because he was managing it himself. And if he had had a property manager, so that property manager would have paid for themselves because they would have known the laws. I see. But. Margo, on a different note, uh, you know, America is the land of the free and the place where dreams are made. Uh, at least that's what a lot of people say. Do you agree or disagree with that? Oh, I absolutely agree. I think anybody can do anything here. There's so much opportunity. If we don't let fear stop us, and we, we obviously have to follow the rules, but you can be anything you want to be in America. And that's, that's a really special thing that we have. Like one of the things I did want to ask is like, since you're into transformational growth and mindset, right? So it's not just like us coming to America or like being in America and having that opportunity. We have to take hold of that opportunity. How, how do you think uh, trans like a, a certain mindset and like a, and like a dedication to growth and financial education play into that? Oh, wow. You know, I think, I think I'm going to say hope is probably the first thing. Because a lot of people don't have hope that they can have, you know, financial abundance or that they can do what other people will do. And so we have the opportunities here, but, but whether or not people take hold of that and take that opportunity is the hope and the belief that they could do it. And so if we work on helping you know, people, that's kind of where my, my, my thing is, is I want to help encourage people and give hope to people to know that they have that opportunity just like anybody else. And I wonder, you know, I'm many, many generations American and I see, you know, in 
a lot of people like me, where I grew up, which is we just take for granted our freedom. We don't have that that taste of freedom that's so appreciated. We so appreciate it. You know, we've just taken it for granted for generations. And so I would like, I would love for all of Americans, whether they've been here for one day or a hundred years, you know, like let's appreciate the freedom that we have. And like you say, take hold of it and do something with it. No, I totally agree. Uh, because you see like uh, the entire identity of America is about freedom, right? But like, like in extraordinary America itself, like the show started because I, I thought that there was a hypocrisy between uh, the ideals of freedom that America had and then the financial reality that a lot of people are in consumer debt and their stagnant wages, inflation is going around and uh, they just are free. Like they're going and living paycheck to paycheck. They're doing someone doing two to three jobs. But like what you did was the embodiment of what an American dream would be like. Like you started off from humble beginnings and like you're fighting against the odds. But that's what we as Americans on a mass level should be doing because that is who we are as Americans. And I mean, that's, that's a, that was the entire point of like what made me start the show in the first place. I so admire that because you're right. That is, and we all have the opportunity. We do. We, it was given to us. People fought for that and we, we can take that and do something with it. But like what you said, I don't, I don't see a lot of people doing that, right? So what are we doing instead? You can you can have your job, your day job, and you can work on something else at the same time. Anybody can do it if they just have the the gumption to get out and do it. I I think so. Anybody can do it, but they have to invest in themselves. Like you mentioned earlier, they have instead of blaming politics and like this side or that side or relying on politicians, they need to start relying on themselves and in their own financial education and self-improvement, because that's who we are as Americans. And it has to apply on the financial front, because if you're not free financially, how are you going to have the experiences necessary to uh, understand more about yourself and be who you are, right? But uh, Margot, what do you think is the greatest challenge that Americans have when it comes to realizing the American dream and how would they overcome it? The biggest challenge... I think the biggest challenge is immediate gratification. We want something right now and we're told we can have it. And I've used it. I've tried to teach this to my, one of my children specifically, which is how do you, how do you want something and not buy it now and work for it and plan ahead? And, and we're, we as Americans are told we can have it right now and we can buy it on payments and whatever. <laughs> we, can, we can get it immediately if we want it. But it's a skill that you have to learn to say, okay, I want it. I'm not going to get it now and I'm going to work for it. And even if you have the money, I, I actually do that with, um, for example, I'll just use my, uh, when we got married, all, you get a lot of cash, you know, as gifts when you get married. And I wanted to buy a new bedroom set. And so then I went to the, when we went to pick it out, there was 0% financing. I'm like, oh, well, that's great. But I had the money, right? I had the money in my savings account, but they were going to give me 0% financing. And so I did that and I made payments and I was telling somebody who I really valued their opinion. I thought they were so smart about money. And he just looked at me and he said, why would you do something like that? If you had the money, why wouldn't you just pay for it? And like, I felt kind of little and small, like I made a mistake. And after I spent all those years trying to figure out, you know, the wealthy thing, I found out I was right because you want to keep the money in your pocket. If somebody's going to lend you their money for 0%, you should always take it, right? <laughs> so it's just education like that that helps us to grab hold of that American dream a little bit more and take it and enjoy it. <laughs> I, I think you brought up a very, like when you mentioned immediate gratification, it just made me realize something, right? Uh, I mean, it's an, it's an insight, but our entire culture and our entire monetary system is based on immediate gratification and consumer debt culture. Like a reason a lot of Americans are enslaved right now is because they wanted to pay, like spend now, pay later, but they don't do it in the business sense to grow their business. They're doing it to just buy a car or buy 
buy a house uh, with with like a more with a mortgage and everything, or buy this or buy that, and then basically they have to, and then because of inflation, the they it's become it's becoming harder and harder to like pay that back, and then the interest rates are also pretty high, so now they're gradually becoming enslaved where they're forced to work, and it's just an insight into like how we're just in like the in, the entire system is based on consumer debt actually. Yes, you're right. Consumer debt in marketing, right? There's a lot of marketing. We should get it now. We should get it now. Buy it on payment. Yeah, yes. It's That's probably our biggest downfall in the country. And not that we shouldn't, it's not that we should shut down marketing and the economy by saying nobody buys anything. But if we give the education at the same time, and people have tried to fix this and and, and force financial education in the school systems. They don't think it's working and they're not really giving the right education anyways. Um, but we need mentors, financial mentors. And instead of it being a negative, because I, I know when I was at school, the rich person, you know, in town was, you know, that's a negative, right? So you don't want to be the rich person, but really there's somebody to admire and to look up to and that you can learn from. So if we shift that dynamic, just a little bit, we might change the, the country. No, I totally agree with you. But like, you see, that's that's where the important thing comes in. Like, they're not teaching what they are, like you learn over all of your years of education. Like, that is not being taught in universities and schools. They're teaching, like, like I think, like, liberal arts degrees or whatever like that. You pay, like, $100,000, $200,000. You get into student debt. And then like those degrees are useless. And then you're going and doing like a job that you could otherwise do without those degrees. Instead, they spend that time and all that money into themselves for the financial education that you're talking about, which I, which I understand, right? Then things would just be different. It's just this difference in mind, mindset. I mean, this is why I wanted to get you on the show, Matt, because you get it, right? So uh, it's, it's just that. But well, as a continuation of this, Margo, um, you know, like over the past year, America has gone through rapid inflation as and like and as well as like a lot of people are suffering from consumer debt. Like what is your uh, and stagnant wage? Like what is your take on it from your perspective? Uh, which part? The inflation? Inflation, debt and the stagnant wage when like their wages are not matching up with the inflation. What would you suggest Americans to do? Oh, that's a great question. I actually did a, um, I'm doing a webinar. I, I did the presentation, but I haven't put it online yet. But my hypothesis was three properties because we don't keep up, like you said, with our wages and inflation, right? And we're always at, we're always waiting for the employer to tell us what to, what we're going to make, or we're forced to change jobs if we want to make more money. And so, we have no control. If we work for somebody else, we don't have any control. And and if we don't, if we decide not to do something on the side that we're working towards that will earn us more money, we're stuck, right? So you're stuck with this financial paycheck that doesn't keep up with inflation. And so my hypothesis was that, and I I, I I'm working mostly with women, and I do work with men too, but but for women in general, so we're gonna live. In I do work with men. I have a lot of really great friends and and people that I've mentored that are men. And but they they want it, right? They come to me and they they say this is what I want. And women on the other hand, we are just happy most of the time, right? And we let our husbands sometimes we let our husbands make decisions or we work jobs that we don't make quite as much as the men or we took time off to raise our kids or whatever. There's a lot and but then what what comes so what happens now is you're getting into your 50s, um, a lot of people in their 40s and 50s. What happens is you start to realize, okay, my kids are gone. My The spouse, the husband is usually going to die before the wife. The money, I mean, that's just statistic. Not It's just statistically we're going to outlive the husbands typically. And like you said, the, the paycheck, right? We've been working hard all of our lives. And now inflation is increased, but our paycheck, we don't want to work anymore. We aren't, we aren't driving to get a bigger paycheck. So if you've never planned for that, now your standard of living gets less. And so my hypothesis was 
three rental properties in your entire working career will change your life and it will eliminate the effects of inflation on your finances. And so I mathematically did it and it's true. All you have to do is buy three, three rental houses, for example, through, and it could be whatever you want. So you don't have to go out and become a real estate investor. You just have to understand how real estate works, how it beats inflation, because you're using other people's money. That's the biggest, because if you're using a bank loan, that's other people's money. You have appreciation, which is real estate goes up in value. As, as inflation happens, so does real estate. Um, then you have rent. Rent always keeps pace with inflation. So you don't, you don't buy a rental house, let's say, in the 50s and charge the same rent that you charged in the 50s. If, if, if somebody's owned it for 50 years, now their rent is higher, but they bought it at prices for, from 1950. So there's that piece that changes everything. And yes, you have to take taxes into you know into consideration when you sell, but you you can beat inflation. And when you have just three houses that you can either refinance, so refinancing a house doesn't cause a taxable income, you know, it doesn't cause a tax burden on you if you refinance it and get cash out. So you can do that. You can sell it. You can just keep renting it. There are just so many more choices. And that's what I think if we just look at it as I don't want to be necessarily a real estate investor. I just want to be happy and free, right? I just want to live free and not live paycheck to paycheck and enjoy my life. That's really all you need to do. Margaret, I learned something today. Like what what, what do you explain with those three hypotheses? Like we're using real estate in order to uh, combat inflation. Like that is something... Uh, that should be taught as mandatory education in schools. I don't, I don't know why they're not, why they're not doing it. Like most people are suffering, but like here, these are like really easy to do solutions. Like use other people's money and then uh, rent the rent your, uh, rent the rooms of the house to people, and then like keep up with the appreciation. Like what are you talking about? Yeah, like uh, I personally believe in this thing of like investing in precious metals and then like. There's like a cycle where real estate goes at a at a high and then precious metals that are low. You invest in precious metals. When they go at a high, you sell off the precious metals, take that money, put it into real estate, and then appreciate it. And then and then there's like these waves and cycles, and then you just keep at the high points. It's only a matter of like when the high point is, and then sell off everything. And then like, yeah, you're you're pretty much set. Right. Yeah. You're pretty much set. And and that's you know, you bring up another really good point, which is you shouldn't just have one thing, right? So you brought up precious metals. I also, we have a lot of retirement accounts. We're using that too. So we have real estate. We have, we have some precious metals. We have, um, you can use currency. You can use cryptocurrency, whatever your thing is. Take a variety of them and, and include a little bit of all of them. And you will definitely beat inflation when you get older specifically like just don't be living off of it now right <laughs> no totally i mean it's uh it's something that needs to be done like uh, i i cannot emphasize it enough like it's part of this show as well like how to combat inflation in a practical way but margo on a different note uh i know you wrote this book called live your life with abundance can you uh you live your life with abundance can you tell myself and the audience a little bit more about this book and the premise of how you got started with it. Yes. I So I actually started writing this book almost 20 years ago, and I was a terrible writer back then, and I was afraid just to let anybody read it, right? But I just felt like I was supposed to write it, and it came from my growth of, you know, I felt stuck. I felt like I, I couldn't, I couldn't, I could see success, but I couldn't quite figure it out, and, you know, I kept getting stuck. And so I, I wrote this, this book about my, kind of my journey on how to figure out my purpose and my passion and to, to accept myself for who I am, eliminate the guilt and the burdens and just 
and and like you you talked about in the very beginning, which is what's your strategic plan? Part of my book is about kind of your strategic plan of what do you really like? What do you really love doing? What do you want in your life? And what do you not want in your life? And so put more of what you want and less of what you don't want into your life. And once you think about it and write it down, decision making is so much easier because I, for example, I wrote this down. This is almost 20 years ago. I hate driving into rush hour traffic. I just hate it. And so I will not, you know, so now I know 20, almost 20 years later, I was like, oh man, I eliminated driving in rush hour traffic, but I didn't do it consciously. It was unconscious, but I'd written it down when I wrote this book. And then when I was editing the book, I thought, I made this happen, right? I manifested this in my life. I, and it was just by deciding what it was that I liked and what I didn't like. And so that's what the first the first half is about that. And it's just figuring out who you are and, and where you want to go, what your vision is for your life. And the second part is kind of the, the money piece. I added all that financial piece, which is the money mindset. What's your, what's your relationship with money? Uh, there's a few, there's a lot of really good, kind of just little tiny hacks that don't take any time to help you overcome money issues. And one of them, I'll just give you one of them. One of them is I keep money in my purse. I just always keep, I don't buy anything with cash anymore, but I always have money in my purse. And so I always have money. I always have plenty of money. Just pick a sentence. What what works for you? Um, I had a lady I was coaching and she, she picked her sentence. She's like, oh, I just love that. All of a sudden I have plenty of money. She just started telling herself that. She was repeating it in the back of her head all the time, right? I have plenty of money. I have plenty of money. And all of a sudden, huh, your mindset shifts and you do. And you say you look at the whole world differently. And so there's all of that. There's a lot about, you know, the, I kind of cover a lot of the points of real estate in there. And then an interesting thing that you brought up, which is kind of your cultural background versus my cultural background, which is how, you know, the giving piece and, um, what you what you do in life now is what you know, reaping what you sow. There's a lot of that in there, and I actually covered all the major religions. That I think there were seven that I used. So I took the top seven religions in the world and compared them as to giving, and we all basically have the same underlying premise, which is giving, reaping, and sowing are related. And so we really are all in agreement. That's seven of the top religions in the whole world, right? That's most of the world. We all agree on the same thing. And so I really go through that. And why is that such a valuable thing? And how how does giving impact you, right? If you're giving time, resources, money, whatever it is that you're giving, how does that, it actually comes back on you and makes you happier and more joy-filled. And so I talked about that a little bit in the book too. That is awesome, Margo. I would definitely recommend my audience to uh, take up this book and read it because it'll it has it would have practical advice on mindset and as well as like tactics on how to create money as well. And so yeah. So Margo, uh is there any project or initiatives that you're doing right now that you'd want the audience to get a glimpse of or anything that you're doing? Oh, yeah. So I am, I, we talked about this. It's, um, I have a women's initiative, a friend and I, we, we started this women's group and it was purely accidental. And we realized we accidentally stumbled onto a fabulous um, structure for women. It's called the pearls and the pearls. So it means women of great value and worth. So that's the, the, the meaning of a pearl is something of great value or worth. And so we have a women's group and it's all about connecting. And what we want to do is we want to duplicate it, replicate it, I should say, all over the country so that women can participate and create their own group, which is connecting with other women. It's not networking like business networking, because that's not really what women love to do. We want to connect with each other. We want to pour into each other's lives and we want and so we have that and it's, um, it's actually 
been going on, I think three, three and a half years now, and it's so successful. And so we just want to get leaders, um, women all over the country that want to start their own group and will help, you know, we have a whole structure and everything, but it's really rewarding. It's so rewarding. So. That is awesome. Yeah. It's always good to like have uh, organizations that are out there that are just like helping other people all together. So Margo, um, where can our audience go to connect with you to get to know more about yourself and what you're doing? Okay. Yeah. So I have a website. It's margospildy.com, which might need to be spelled. And then I, people can email me. Actually, my name is my email address, margospildy at Gmail. And um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on um, Instagram. Not very good at Instagram. And LinkedIn. Okay, cool. Uh, Margo, I really appreciate that you took the time to do this uh, interview with with uh, with me uh i'm really honored like what you have shared with us is actually really informative and it actually helps a lot of people i mean i would say that you are an extraordinary american and you're living you're living what an extraordinary american life would be like so i really appreciate that and i would be honored to have you back as a guest on the show at a future time i would love that and i i am so honored i love how you use the word honored and i feel the same way about you um just what you're doing is so needed in the world and in the in america and i just love that you're highlighting freedom and extraordinary americans it's just thank you for doing that i really really love it i appreciate it margo and then i conclude this interview uh, i conclude this show by letting my extraordinary americans know that there's an extraordinary within each and every one of us it's our duty to unleash it and awaken it bye for now take care hey there everyone thank you for watching extraordinary america if you like what you see, please do subscribe to our podcast and share it with others. Remember that the best investment that you can make in your lifetime is in your own financial education, for it is knowledge that truly sets you free. Also remember that uh, your purchasing power is being diluted through inflation, and then the practical thing to do is to protect the loss of your purchasing power by investing in precious metals or the right cryptocurrencies. Also, never forget that you are an extraordinary American. We'll see you in the next episode. Bye for now.